just want to encourage you to go to your knees if you're physically able just to bow before the Lord to acknowledge that He is worthy Lord we humble ourselves before you today we say you are great and you are mighty and you are sovereign and you are holy what an honor and a privilege to come before you today through the blood of Jesus Christ The only thing that makes us worthy and holy and righteous today is what Jesus Christ accomplished at Calvary. We cling to that. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, that you have called us by your sovereign power. We thank you that you have delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and you have transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son. We thank you that you love us with an eternal, unconditional, everlasting love. And so we say, God, that we yield to you and we honor you and we love you and we want to live for you. We want to be accurate representations of you on earth. So fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray today if there be anybody who has not yielded their lives to you and been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, today you would grant them new birth. Convict them of sin and show them that Jesus is the only way. We cling to the righteousness that is ours in Christ. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your indwelling Holy Spirit. We thank you for your promises that one day we will live and reign with you in glory. Thank you for all your promises, for your holy word that instructs us, teaches us. And God, we just are so thankful. And now we give in this offering. First, we give ourselves. If we could crawl in that offering basket, we would do that. We first present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you which is our reasonable service of worship. We also bring our finances, and we say, God, use these finances to expand the gospel worldwide. We pray for those in Ukraine today, God, that you would protect the believers, that you would pour out your spirit on that country. God, we cry out to you to bring an end to evil and injustice. Father, I pray that President Putin will be put down. What he has done is not right. It is evil, and we pray against evil today, that you will destroy evil Bring about what is right and true and good. God, would you pour out your spirit on that country? Quickly bring an end to evil. Give our national leaders and world leaders wisdom to take a stand for what is right and to bring consequences to bear that will cause him to repent. Father, we pray that army would turn on itself. We pray that you do a Second Chronicles 20 and bring ambushes against those who seek to do what is wrong. And so, God, we thank you today that you are sovereign. We pray now at anointing on your word that there will be a conviction today of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Give us a revelation of who we are in you. Father, I pray an anointing on your word that we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind today. And we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. All right, ushers, if you'd take the offering, please. Thank you, worship team. Take out your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. That is toward the end of the Bible. The book of 1 John, written by the same man who wrote the Gospel of John and who wrote the book of Revelation. By the way, if you're new to Living Hope, we welcome you today. So glad you're here. Make sure you fill out that card in the seat in front of you so we know you're with us. I'll tell you what, folks, today, if you allow God's Holy Spirit through His incredible Word to speak to your heart, I'm telling you, your life can be changed forever today. When you get in your getter and you know in your knower who you are in Jesus and what it means that you are righteous in Christ, it can transform the way you live. The Bible says in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin, then He comes to convict of righteousness. Now today I'm asking Him to bring a conviction of righteousness to you, that He would convince you that you are righteous in Jesus if you are a true believer. If you're not a true believer, may He convict you of sin today in order to lead you to the cross, and then you get the conviction of righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever... Oh, we got to dismiss the kids. So, children. Sweet Kathy's in the back. Love it. So, children that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed out that exit right there. Oh, by the way, a, a quick phrase before we dive back into the Word. Um, last week we announced to you that we refinanced our mortgage here. We owe $1.3 million on this property. We got an incredible rate 
um, through Oconee State Bank of 3.75%. That's unheard of for churches. And uh, we also made a commitment this week that we are going to be paying an additional $200 a month just to the principal so that we are seeking to uh, reduce our debt as quickly as possible. If any of you feel led to pay off the $1.3 million loan, we will be happily receive that. But some of you might want to give an extra toward the principal. Let us know that. We'll, we'll apply that in that way. Have you ever known someone who was what I call big talk, no do? I mean, they, they, they give you big talk. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. But then they don't follow through. And one of the purposes of the book of 1 John is to address big talk, no doers. Because one of the themes of this book is how to know if somebody's truly a believer. And it's not just by what you profess with your mouth, but it's what you demonstrate in your life. If you'll notice in this next slide that there are three times in, this, in our passage today where it says, if we claim, if we claim, if we claim. So in other words, they had the same problem then that we have today. People who claim one thing, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, I'm a member of a church. Oh, I prayed a prayer when I was eight years old to receive Jesus in my heart. And yet, they're sleeping with their girlfriend, they're getting drunk, they're misusing drugs, they're lying, stealing, cheating, and they're not repenting. This book would say they're not a true believer. Oh, we can't judge. Well, we can determine a tree by its fruit. And this book gives eight signs of a true believer. And most of those or how you live. First point today is that God is righteous. We're going to learn about righteousness today. What does it mean to be right with God? What does it mean to walk in rightness with God? What is the difference between positional righteousness and practicing righteousness? We're going to go deep today. This is not milk. It's milk and meat. Word of God is deep. And so let's read the passage. Oh, if you don't have a Bible today, raise your hand. We have some New Testaments that we would love to give you. Raise your hand if you need a Bible today or you just forgot to bring yours. If you want to take it home with you and keep it, you can. Today's uh, Scripture reading is on page 121. So let's stand together. 1 John 1, picking up right where we left off last week. Last week we dealt with the first four verses. Today, 1 John 1, beginning at verse 5. This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light. In Him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So there it is. That's it right there. Big talk, no do. It, let me read that again. If we say, oh, I have fellowship with Him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. Hallelujah. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. You may be seated. All right, point number one today is that God is righteous. We begin with the foundation of an accurate understanding of God. Chapter 1, verse 5 says that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. It's good news today that God is perfect, God is holy. God is righteous in all that He is and all that He does. All of His attributes are holy, righteous, pure, perfect. He has holy love. He has holy grace. He has holy uh, mercy. He is holy sovereign. He is holy faithful. His wrath is a wrath of holiness. His judgment is a judgment of holiness. All that He is... And all that He does is holy and perfect. You say, well, there are times that things happen. It seems like God was asleep. 
God was asleep at the wheel when that loved one got killed in that car crash. God was asleep at the wheel. He, he failed to be sovereign when that evil thing happened or things like the Ukraine situation happened. Listen, if ever there was a time when you could question whether God was good and holy and perfect, it was 2,000 years ago when His own innocent, righteous Son was beaten and crucified and was murdered for something He didn't do at all. There was a moment if you ever questioned whether God was holy and perfect, you would have questioned then. Yet three days later, He rose from the dead, and that very moment you question is actually the greatest event in human history that bought our eternal salvation. Hallelujah be to God. So listen, when you and I have situations, and we all do, when things happen that we struggle with, it is normal. It is normal to have times when you say, God, it just feels like you're not holy and good and perfect. That's when you go back to His Word. You stand upon His character. And that's where our lives must be rooted in the Word of God. One of the most important studies you can do in your life is to accurately understand the nature of God. That is the foundation of a stable life. Read the knowledge of the holy by Tozer. Read of, of knowing God by J.I. Packer. Read systematic theology by Wayne Grudem. Learn the attributes of God. Know who He is. Because the better you know who He is, the more stable and secure your life is. Especially when things happen that cause you to question whether He's really good or perfect. Jesus Christ demonstrated that He's the second member of the Trinity in that He lived a sinless life. The book of Peter says that in Him is no sin and no guile is in His mouth. Jesus Christ had to be the perfect Son of God in order to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect in all that He is and all that He does. Well, where, does that, where does that land with us? What, what does that mean in terms, of, uh, in terms of our standing before this holy, perfect God? Point number two, we are unrighteous. God is righteous, we are unrighteous. The Bible says here that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. I don't know about you, I, I don't know that I've ever met a person who said they were sinless. Most people are deeply aware of their sins and their faults and their shortcomings. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and 23. Romans 3 says that there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 4 says that we are all born with an Adamic nature, a sin nature, that its natural inclination is to go away from God. We see that all the time. In Romans 3 and 23, when it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the word sin there in the Greek is the word hamartia. It was an archery term, that the archer would shoot the arrow and there'd be a guy standing near, near the target. And if it didn't hit the bullseye, he would yell, hamartia, hamartia. It means he missed the mark. He might be only an inch away. He might be a foot away. But if it did not hit the bullseye, hamartia, that is sin. Anything that falls short of the holiness of God is sin. That's why Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and come short of the glory or perfection of God. We sin in what we say. We sin in what we do. Thought, word, deed. There's sins of commission, doing things you shouldn't do. Sins of omission, not doing what you should do. Not forgiving, not loving your neighbor as yourself. On all fronts, guilty. The purpose of the Ten Commandments, the purpose of the law, was to show us how far short we come to God's holiness. The purpose of the law, listen, the purpose of the Old Testament law was never so people would try harder and obey well in order to be self-righteous and present themselves acceptable to God. No, the purpose of the law was to expose sin, to show us how guilty we are. It was like a mirror to show us that we fall short of His glory. Why? In order to drive us to grace and to drive us to the cross of Jesus. And Jesus took the law even deeper. In the Sermon on the Mount, He said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I tell you, if you lust on a person in your heart, you've committed adultery. Ooh, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you have anger and hatred in your heart toward another, it's as if you've committed murder. So Jesus took the law to a whole new level. He took it from just the outward actions to the motives of the heart. And on all fronts, we are guilty, guilty, guilty before a holy God, deserving of judgment. And our sin causes us to be separated from God. We are unable, listen, unable in our good works to erase that sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that no man will be justified before God by the works of the law. 
No amount of religion, no amount of goodness on your part, no amount of benevolence, no amount of trying hard, no amount of Bible reading and going to church can erase your sin and mine. We have a stain called sin. It's our, it's our very nature. And we can try to cover it up with self-righteousness. We can try to rub it out. You can't, I can't get rid of that sin unless another comes. Unless another comes that could die in my place, bear my sin, absorb the wrath of God, and make me righteous before God. Could there be another? Could there possibly be another? Oh yes, point number three today is this. Jesus Christ can make us righteous. Hallelujah. Only through Christ can we be made righteous before a holy God. And it says in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, one of the translations, I love the way this reads. If anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Now most translations use the word advocate. That was a legal term. You know what it referred to? It referred to a defense attorney. You've got the prosecutor saying guilty. And then you have one coming in and interceding for the guilty one. And that advocate, that one who speaks to the Father on our behalf, Jesus Christ comes in and He says, yes, David is guilty. Yes, David is deserving of hell. Yes, David is deserving of the wrath of God. But I came and I died in His place. I shed my blood for Him. And He comes and He speaks on our behalf. He's our defense attorney. Hallelujah be to God. He comes and He defends you. He comes and He says, My blood, my blood was shed for that sin. I absorbed the wrath and the judgment of God for him or her. Therefore, in me they are made righteous. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins, the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us to God. Listen to that. Christ died for sins, the just, the perfect one, the holy one, for the unjust, that's us, in order that He might bring us to God. This is the Gospel. This is the glorious good news of the Gospel. Listen, you can't have good news until you understand the bad news. problem with American Christianity today is we have a feel-good Christianity. Oh, just accept Jesus. He'll make your life better. He'll make you happy. You'll be successful. And we never talk about the bad news of sin. The bad news that we deserve hell and the wrath of God. The good news is only as good as you understand how serious sin is. Until you understand the seriousness of sin, until you understand what sin means to a holy, perfect God, you'll never appreciate the grace and the goodness of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, how good it is that He makes us righteous. Now, as we talk about righteousness today, and this is where you've got to really put your thinking caps on. Okay? We'll have a little Q&A. My number will be up on the screen. We can dialogue all week. But listen, this is so crucial that you understand that there are two kinds of righteousness the Bible speaks of. And they're definitely dealt with in this book of 1 John. There is positional righteousness and there is practicing righteousness. Now listen, positional righteousness is what happens the moment you are saved and born again. You are imputed with the righteousness of Jesus in your inner nature. You are transformed at that moment. Practicing righteousness is the ongoing life. It's how you live on a daily basis. And what this book addresses, listen closely, is that if one is not seeking to walk in practicing righteousness, doesn't mean they're perfect. They're still going to fall short. We'll talk about 1 John 1, 9 and what that means and doesn't mean today. But, but if that person is not seeking to live in practicing righteousness, when they sin, they don't think anything's wrong with it. What's the problem with sleeping around? What's the problem with getting drunk? What's the problem with lying and cheating and stealing? If that's your attitude, you don't have positional righteousness. That's what the Bible says. So if, if you're not seeking to live in practicing righteousness, there's reason to question whether you have positional righteousness. Now, you don't, listen, you don't practice righteousness to give yourself positional righteousness. But if you're not living in practicing righteousness, seeking to walk in purity, then there's good reason to question whether you ever had positional righteousness. Does that make sense? Good. It's very important. You don't practice righteousness to get positional righteousness, but if you're not practicing righteousness, then the Bible will say you might not have positional righteousness. 
Because when God's Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) The third member of the Trinity, Holy Spirit, helps us live holy. (laughs) So when a believer sins, they're convicted. They feel bad. They don't want to stay in it. People always ask me, you know, how do you... No, I'm not going to go there. But one way to determine, we can't ultimately judge. We, we don't know someone's heart. But Jesus says you can tell a tree by its fruit. And so if there's not fruits of the Spirit and fruits of a desire to live holy, then First John would say, mm, might not be saved. Might not truly be born again. Because one thing to claim something, it's another to live it. So positional righteousness, let's begin with that. Positional righteousness is what takes place the moment you're born again and you're saved. What does the Bible say about that moment in time when you're born again? It says you get a new nature. It says you receive the indwelling Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity. It says at that moment you are declared righteous before Almighty God. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith. When you put your faith in Christ alone, you are justified. That means declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you have positional righteousness. In other words, you are forgiven. Listen, you are forgiven of sins past, present, and future. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, pastor. You're saying that a sin that I haven't even yet committed is already forgiven? Yes. If not so, how could you be guaranteed heaven? How could you be promised eternal life if that sin that you're going to commit a year from now might keep you from having righteousness before God or having right standing with God? Now, we're going to talk about the difference between relationship and fellowship, so hang on. Let me illustrate it this way. Interesting that with all that's happening in the world right now, I would use these Ukrainian dolls. These literally were bought in Ukraine by my father-in-law and given to me. Folks, we need to, you heard my prayer today. You might have shrugged a little the way I prayed. I believe it was a biblical prayer. God bring an end to the evil of Putin. I prayed that people in his inner circle would assassinate him. Isn't that, shouldn't that have been prayed for Hitler? Absolutely. God hates sin. God hates evil. God hates injustice. Let us intercede that he will bring it down, bring it to an end quickly. Read the Psalms. Look at how David prayed. Anyway, these are Ukrainian dolls. (laughs) So, um, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may your body, soul, and spirit be made blameless. We are tripartite beings. We are body. That's your physical body today. You all look great today, by the way. Cleaned up well before you came. (laughs) We are soul. Soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Let's go to three circles now. Show this, okay? See? This is, this is the biblical worldview of man and woman, okay? The deepest, truest part of you and me is our spirit. When the Bible says, absent from the body at home with the Lord, your spirit immediately goes to be with the Lord the minute you die. You get your new body later when Christ comes back, and then you dwell with Him forever in a new heaven and a new earth, okay? So, even though outwardly all we see is that body, but in us is our soul and our spirit, okay? So this is who we are. Now, the Bible says that when you get born again, here's what happens. Watch closely. Romans chapter 6 says your old man was crucified with Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ. When you gave your heart and life to Christ, your old man was crucified with Jesus. It is dead. It's not just wounded and limping. It is dead. Your old man is dead. That's what Romans teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. How can that be? Because when you get saved, you get a new nature. You get a new spirit. The Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity, comes to live inside of you. This is what it means to be positionally righteous. Your new nature is righteous. You have been given the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Pretend that your spirit being is like a bank account. It was filled with all kinds of negativity before you were saved. When you got saved, God took out all that junk in your bank account. 
all that crud and sin, and He replaced it with the righteousness of Jesus. He put into your account billions of spiritual dollars called the righteousness of Jesus. You have all the righteousness you'll ever need already in your account. This is why the Bible calls Christians saints, holy ones, guaranteed eternal life, all sins, past, present, future, forgiven in your spirit being the moment you were saved. 1 Peter chapter 2 says you're a holy nation. Ephesians chapter 1, Corinthians chapter 1 says to the saints at Corinth. The saints at Corinth, they weren't living very saintly. They were struggling in their practicing righteousness, but it didn't change Paul from affirming their positional righteousness. Because he knew that the more they understand their positional righteousness, the more that will motivate their practicing righteousness. So rather than focusing here and all my faults and failures and living a very sin-conscious life, oh my gosh, i got to try harder, i got to overcome this, i got to be more disciplined here. Oh, Paul would say, no, put your focus on your positional righteousness. The more you understand who you are in Him, the more you understand your true nature in God, you do not have a sin nature. Do you still struggle with sin? Yes, and so do I. That's called the flesh. That's what this is. But you're true. you can only have one nature. Nature is the essence of who somebody is. The essence of who you are, Christian, is righteous in Jesus. You're a saint at the very core of your identity. And so, let's keep moving. Before you're saved, let's go back. Before you're saved, you're dead in your sin. But the moment you get saved, what changes at that moment? When when, when 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We go, I don't feel new. Still got the same body. I can still think impure thoughts. So what got new? Here's what got new. Your spirit being, which is your nature. So the minute you get saved, you're alive. You're forgiven. You're declared righteous in the sight of God. You're clean before Him. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You have a new nature. He took the old out and He replaced it with new. You're a child of God. So here's what's important to understand. Your positional righteousness is what of true of your spirit being, your inner person, the deepest, truest, eternal part of who you are. Now, practicing righteousness, that's how we live. That's every day. That's taking every thought captive, mind, will, emotions. That's choosing to obey God. That's resisting temptation, right? That's the practicing righteousness. That is what is happening at these two dimensions, okay? And the more you focus on what is true of you in your true nature, spirit, being, I am absolutely convinced, this will 95% take care of itself. Because the more you'll see, look, to sin is to act inconsistent with who I truly am. So one of the questions asked in first service on the text questions, it says, uh, does a Christian uh, have a sin nature? And I say no. And I also say that the the best description of a Christian is not a sinner saved by grace. I know that sounds real humble. I know it sounds real religious and spiritual. I don't think it's biblically accurate. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint who occasionally sins. (laughs) A sinner somebody who by nature just loves to sin. It just comes natural to them. Many Christians live with a sin consciousness instead of a righteousness consciousness. The more we live with a righteousness consciousness, the more the practicing righteousness part will take care of itself. So one of the questions asked in first service was also, well then, then how do you, you know, a lot of times he said, I've got a friend who's definitely not living a practicing righteousness life, but they claim to be saved. How do I minister to them? Well, I'd do a study of 1 John with them. (laughs) But I would also say, when you sin, so let's say it's a friend and, They're sleeping around, or they're getting drunk on Friday nights, but they're in church on Sundays. They got their hands raised in worship. But they were drunk two nights ago. I would say, when these activities in your life that you know and I know are not pleasing to God, would you agree that the Bible says sex outside of a one-man, one-woman marital relationship is sin? And they say, yeah. Or would you, you see here Ephesians 5, it says don't get drunk. And yet, you do. What do you feel and experience after you do that? I don't think anything's wrong with it. (laughs) Feels good, so I do it. Must be okay. Probably not saved. Very likely not saved. Because the believer who walks in practicing unrighteousness 
will be convicted and will not like it and will want to repent. Case in point, and this will be a good study on your own, Romans 6 deals with positional righteousness. Romans 7 is Paul's struggle to walk in it. Remember, he says, I don't do the things I want to do. So what he wanted to do was please God. He said, in my inner being, I delight in the law of God. I want to please God. So the fact that he struggled in Romans 7, didn't want to do that, shows that he was positionally righteous. So if you sin and aren't convicted and don't feel bad about it, you probably aren't saved. Because one of the jobs, hello, of the Holy Spirit, (laughs) Holy Spirit helps us live holy. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to show you when you don't live holy in order that you might quickly repent and begin to walk back in who you are. So that leads to practicing righteousness. Practicing righteousness, again, walking out who you are. In chapter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Right? That's what it says. Look, I didn't write this. (laughs) I didn't make this up. This is what the Word of God says. This is His Word. If you claim, I'm a Christian, I'm born again, I prayed a prayer when I was eight years old. I'm going to heaven, right? Yet walk in the darkness. Sleep around, get drunk. Lie, cheat, steal. Don't think anything's wrong with it. Then you lie and you don't live by the truth. But if you walk in the light, that's practicing righteousness. As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. All right, so what does it mean to do 1 John 1, 9? Is 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Is 1 John 1, 9 a positional righteousness verse or a practicing righteousness verse? It's a practicing righteousness verse. You already have positional righteousness. But in the course of your day, in the course of your life, in the course of you going about what you do, you become aware of something in your life that's displeasing to God. Bill Bright used to call this, keep short accounts with God. Love that. So you're going about your day, you have an impure thought. You lust after somebody. Or you drink too much and you get intoxicated and the next day, what happens? You're convicted. You realize it's wrong and you're struggling. You say, man, I'm so sorry. I slipped up. I hate this. How do you restore fellowship? The relationship was not broken, but the fellowship was hindered. Illustration, I'm married to Didi, my wife. I may do something unkind to her, say something unkind, treat her poorly. Did that mean all of a sudden we're not married? Of course not. The relationship is eternal and it's established, it cannot be broken. But our fellowship is in trouble. (laughs) And the way to restore that fellowship is I need to go to her and say, honey, I'm so sorry. I repent. That was terrible of me. I feel terrible about it. Please forgive me. Boom. Fellowship is restored. Hello. You see the difference? Same way if if my children, I have four children. When they were born into our family, they are born holts. There's nothing they can do to not be a holt. But if they live in a way that's unholtly, (laughs) they they don't do things that help our relationship, then guess what's going to happen? Our fellowship is hindered. They say things bad about me. They kind of don't want any time with me, whatever. They 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 can't take away the fact that they're my children. But our fellowship is in trouble. Best thing they can do is come to me, ask forgiveness. Guess what? Fellowship is restored. So as we walk with God, as we are in the course of this thing called sanctification, let's go back to the three circles in just a minute, Caitlin. Um, As we are justified by faith, we are righteous before God, that's what's true of our spirit being. Sanctification is the ongoing process of walking this out, becoming more like Jesus, maturing, okay? Just our daily lives. Sanctification, again, mind, will, emotions, body. I become aware of something in my life that's displeasing to God, The relationship hasn't been hindered. Nothing in that spirit circle changed. It did not in any way take away from what is true here, but it is negative here, and so it needs to be restored. How do you do that? By confessing. So 1 John 1, 9. Let's talk about how to do that in the most biblical way. If we confess our sins, the word confess is homilegeo in the Greek. It means to agree with God. God already knows it. (laughs) And so we become aware of what He already knew. We finally realized that we had conviction of sin. God, I realized that thought was impure. 
Sorry that I got drunk last night. Now listen, this is, and I, I'm not, I don't think you get ruled out on a technicality. But I don't believe it's the biblical way to do 1 John 1, 9, to beg God to forgive you. Please forgive me, God. Oh, God, please. No, here's what you do. You bring to bear in the present what was given to you at the moment you were saved. So I say, God, I agree with you that getting drunk last night was a sin before you. And God, I feel bad about it. I repent of that. I turn from that. And I thank you that you forgive me based upon the work of Christ at the cross. It's like going to that bank account and making a withdrawal. He already put into your account billions of dollars of righteousness the moment you were saved. This can never change. This is eternally secure if it's truly received by faith. You go to that bank. You don't beg to get money in your account. It's already there. When you, when you were saved, He forgave you all your sins, past, present, and future. So when you commit a sin in the future, in order to walk in purity in the present, you bring to bear what you had at positional righteousness, and you apply it to practicing righteousness. You say, God, I'm going to withdraw a couple hundred dollars of righteousness today. Thank you that it's already in my account. Thank you that you gave it to me the moment I was saved. Thank you that it was all paid for when you died and rose again from the dead. And you receive that when you're saved. This is why Paul could say to the Corinthians, who had a lot of mess in their lives, they were misusing the Lord's Supper. They were misusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They had division. They had sexual immorality. And he addresses the church at Corinth to the saints at Corinth. You're going, are you, have you gone nuts? He says, no, I've not gone nuts. I'm just going to help change their behavior by reminding them of who they really are. Listen, you're acting inconsistent with who you are. So the best description of a Christian is not, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It's I'm a saint that struggles occasionally with sin. But when I sin, I quickly repent. And I come back under that righteousness. And I say, God, help me to walk in the power of your Spirit from this day forward. That's how you properly do 1 John 1.9. Now let me give you a little bonus material. Okay, you don't have to pay for this. This is bonus material. It's outside the passage we're in, but I think it applies and it's helpful. We'll do this quickly. What are some of the benefits of righteousness? Number one, you have access to God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, this deals primarily with positional righteousness. That because you're saved by Jesus' blood, because you're given the righteousness of Christ, guess what? Only saints can get into the presence of God because He's a holy God and He cannot tolerate any sin. You say, how can we come so freely before God? Come boldly to the throne of grace in prayer and in fellowship because you are a saint. Because He sees you as holy. Number two, this one is more practicing righteousness. Closer to God. The more you walk in purity, the more you practice righteousness, what does it do? It helps you feel closer to God. It helps you get to know God better. You understand His Word more. You're more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Your, your, your spiritual antenna is up. You're, you're hearing His voice more regularly. This is when Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You're just going to be more used by God. You're going to be closer to God because you're walking in righteousness. Number three, you'll experience greater answers to prayer. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you will. The more you walk in righteousness, the more your prayers will align with His will. The more you'll be in tune with what to pray. The more you'll know the word to pray. Your prayers will be powerful and effective, James chapter 5. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Number four, now this one you've got to really have your thinking cap on as well. You become more aware of your sin. Now, wait a minute, you just said that we need to be more aware of our righteousness. Now you're saying that walking in righteousness makes you more aware of your sin. Hang on, hang on. Here's what happens. Isn't this often one's experience? Let me show you this diagram. The beginning of that little thing is when you get saved. I've had many people say to me, Pastor David, I got more problems now that I'm saved than before I got saved. Before I got saved, I used to sin, didn't think anything of it. Now, not only do I get convicted when I do something, I get convicted if my motives are impure, I have an impure thought. This is not working out real well. I'm discouraged, and they want to throw in the towel and say it doesn't work. I say, hold on. What do you do when you are convicted? Because yes, the more you become aware of God's holiness, the more you do become aware of your sin. Because before it was just actions, now it's motives. Now it's thoughts. You see how that works? 
It's what you do when that happens that counts. See, Satan, as the accuser of the brethren, he wants, and I have another diagram where the part, our sin, actually goes down and it, and it says discouragement. Because Satan comes at that moment. He says, you're a loser. You're such a sorry, terrible Christian. Just throw in the towel. It doesn't work for you. That's because you're focusing on your sin. But if you allow the greater conviction of sin that comes with walking in righteousness to drive you more to the cross, to drive you more to grace, to show you how beautiful the gospel is, because now you realize, thank you, God, that you didn't, you didn't just die for murder. You also died for that hatred in my heart. <laughs> you see? And so the more you allow the conviction of sin to drive you to the cross and drive you to grace, then your sanctification will be happening the way God intended it to happen. So now I'm rephrasing point four. Awareness of sin and grace. <laughs> See? Don't allow your awareness of sin to drive you to discouragement, condemnation, and accusation. Allow your awareness of sin to drive you to see how much you need God, how much you need His power, and the beauty of the gospel to forgive that sin. Number five, I'm going to flesh this out more in a devotional I'll do either tonight or tomorrow on social media. It will increase your fellowship with others. Chapter 1, verse 7. Interesting there that he says, if you walk in the light, as He is in the light. You have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So we've covered well today the blood of Jesus cleansing us from sin part, but what, what does it mean that walking in the light actually gives you increased fellowship with others? Ah, love this. The more you understand who you are in Christ, the more you understand your righteousness in Jesus, the more you quit pretending. You don't have to pose. You don't have to pretend you're something you're not. You don't have to try to impress people. You can actually be open and honest about your struggles because your being okay with yourself is not dependent on others thinking you're something super. Your okayness comes from this. So I can say to Jonathan, Jonathan, brother, please pray for me. I'm struggling this week. I'm really discouraged. I'm down about some things that are happening. What happens at that moment? Our sense of unity just went up because I'm real with him. He's probably going to be real back with me. And we have genuine fellowship where we're not posing. We're not trying to impress each other. That's what it's talking about. Walk in the light as He is in the light. And then we're just more genuine. We're more real with each other. And we have increased fellowship with one another. This is one of our visions for our small groups. We want our small groups, our community groups, our home groups, anytime we gather, two or more have gathered, that we be real. That we not have to Put on a face and pretend we're something we're not. We can be open and honest. Why? Because our identity comes from this and not from what others think of us or our performance. Finally, you'll just avoid a lot of problems. <laughs> if you walk in righteousness, you just avoid problems. You get drunk. You drive. You kill somebody. You're in jail. Yes, anything can be forgiven. Anything can be cleansed. Did Jesus die for that sin? Yes. But there's consequences. Premarital sex can lead to a pregnancy outside of wedlock. There's a lot of issues that come with that. STDs. Lying, stealing, cheating could be something that you get turned in for. You might have to pay a fine. You might have to spend some time behind bars. So God loves you and me so much that He gives us guidance on how to live so that we are right with Him and enjoy closeness and intimacy with Him. But also it just helps us avoid problems that come. <laughs> because sin has consequences. All right, before we take some questions, I just want to do something kind of unusual this morning. I had this impression yesterday. I'm just going to go to prayer now. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to maybe give you something sweet, fresh, if He would choose to. So let's go to prayer about our righteousness. So God, Holy Spirit, I just pray right now. Would you help everybody's mind be clear? If you would want to give anybody here a vision, a scripture, a picture in their mind, a thought, something that would just help this crystallize in their spirit. Uh, we just wait upon you now and, and invite you, Holy Spirit, to do that. So just be open. Jot down anything you feel like the Lord says to you.
So God, I do pray now. John 16, for the conviction of righteousness upon all those who are truly in Christ and Christ is in them. Those who are not in Christ, Christ is not in them. I pray for them the conviction of sin that would lead to repentance and faith in Christ to result in righteousness. Thank you and praise you for all that you have done for us, all that you have given us. And so, we get, God, we just are eternally grateful today that you don't just forgive us, you cleanse us, you give us a new nature and a new identity. Help us understand that and walk in that for your glory. Amen. All right, let's take some questions. As we wait for you to raise your hand or text it in, one that, that has already come in from last service that I didn't know, how would you explain the flawed theology of purgatory to a Catholic friend? And I would just say, first of all, challenge them to give you a biblical support because there are none. And purgatory is such a terrible doctrine because it basically says what Christ did on the cross was not good enough to completely forgive us. And so when Christ says he forgives us, we have eternal life. There's not this second place you have to go work it off if you had to work it off in purgatory, then again, what Christ did on the cross was not enough. No biblical support. Matter of fact, uh, one of my doctoral papers I did in Wisconsin, I interviewed three Catholic priests in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and all of them admitted, most of us don't believe that anymore. They even called it a, a, a doctrine for little old ladies. That's what they said. I'm just telling you what the priest said. They, they said, most of us don't believe that anymore. So they're recognizing that's not biblical. Over here. And then, and then let's go here first. Okay. Ryan. Hey, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, this is great, by the way. Hold it close. Okay, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, if I was understanding correctly, we were focusing like primarily on sort of reactive ways of gr growing in practicing righteousness. Um, you know, sometimes it feels like, so you're asking forgiveness for this thing that you've done. But sometimes it feels like you just keep asking and asking and asking because you, you, it seems like you're never growing out of that thing. Then that's a lack of faith. You're not, if you keep asking, you're not exercising faith in the truth. It's forgiven. Claim it. Receive sure. well, it. I guess what I mean is that because you have continued to do the thing that you hate. Okay. Like so a Roman habitual 7. sin. So I, I just wonder if, you, if there's anything you can say about growing in practicing righteousness from a proactive, I'm like... You, I think you mentioned uh, Romans 12, like when you were praying earlier. It seems like the transforming of our mind, yes. what are ways that we can proactively grow in righteousness? That's good, Re really good. So first of all, I think it's renewing of the mind. We're transformed by the re renewing of our mind. That's largely really grasping who you are in Christ. It's also really understanding the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I think many times the reason people don't walk in practicing righteousness, they're ignorant of the anointing and the power and the importance of being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day -day basis. They're trying to live in their own strength. Also, many times it can be a result of issues in their past that they've not resolved. And that's where prayer ministry, counseling, biblical counseling is helpful because sometimes repeated sins is because there's a stronghold that's never been broken. So it could be demonic. That's a whole other discussion. Going through the Steps to Freedom with Neil Anderson breaks those strongholds. Generational curses. Uh, so there's a lot of things that can, great question, a lot of things that can, can, can contribute to areas in which the person feels like, man, I just keep struggling. I keep falling in that area. And I just say, man, press in. Claim what you have in Christ. Believe God for victory. Can you ever reach sinless perfection? No. No. But your sanctification can get greater and stronger. And I know in my own life, there's areas I used to struggle with, not even a struggle anymore. I don't say that with one ounce of pride. It's just God's given me victory. I've pressed through. It's just not a... But then there's other areas. Probably till the day Jesus calls me home, it's going to always be, you know, a fatal flaw. I talk about that in my book. Fatal flaws and wet blankets. We all have at least one or two fatal flaws. Those areas that are just that prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. <laughs> it's the Hebrews that talks about that sin that so easily entangles you. That's believers. Believers have sins that will so easily entangle them if they're not careful. They're, they're, just, they're, they're most vulnerable in those areas. Important that you identify with it. Keep a wet blanket on it lest it flame up and destroy your house and others. number of things there, but that's a great question. Very good. And we'll deal with that more um, when we get to that part which says that if, you, if you're a true believer, you won't, there's some translations that say you won't sin. Well, the Greek there is you won't continue to walk in sin. And we'll unpack that when we get there. But I know that's a troubling verse for many in 1 John. Yeah, this might be redundant, but what would you say to someone who struggles with perfectionism? 
Oh, well, often, not all, often a person who struggles with perfectionism is because they're trying to be righteous with, before God on their own. They're trying to achieve self-righteous pharisaical righteousness. Now, I can't judge their heart always. Sometimes it's because they genuinely have a desire to live holy and be pleasing to God. That's fine. If that's, but most people I've experienced that, that struggle with perfectionism, it's because they get their identity from their behavior being perfectly aligned and trying to impress people and having everything together, you know. And it's often, it's, it's a flesh. This is the flesh. It's a flesh trying to get this instead of really claiming their righteousness comes from Christ and walking in that. Because then there's great humility and there's a willingness to admit our faults and you're not having to try to be perfect. Why? Because before God, I'm already perfect. In, in this, I'm already righteous. I can't add or delete to this. So many times that solves that issue. book that really helped me on that was um, Tired of Trying to Measure Up. Great book. That title made me read it. Because when I was a new believer, as an 18-year-old, I, I was trying hard to measure up. And some of my motives were good. But a lot of times it was because I wanted to look real spiritual before others to impress them. And that book just set me free because it really talks about it. That's why I wrote the track that's in the back of, the, of, of, of Liberating Grace in the Performance Treadmill. That performance treadmill is often, you know, that perfectionism. All right, worship team, come on up, please. One more question. Keep them coming by text, but um, actually we'll take this one then. This just came in, so this will be the last one. If you're a Christian and show fruit for years, oh boy, should have read this before I decided to take it, but I'm already past the point of, if you're a Christian and show fruit for years and then become homosexual and never turn back to Christ before you die, what does this mean for your salvation? Again, the key determiner for any sin, especially that like a homosexual, is do you, do you feel bad about it? Are you convicted? A true believer cannot practice any sin of sexual immorality, be it homosexuality, be it heterosexuality, be it porn, be it adultery. Any sexual sin, if a, if a person who says they're a believer does that and doesn't think anything's wrong with it, there's serious reason. I can't ultimately determine whether they're saved or not, but there'd be biblical serious reason to question whether they're truly saved. Because if they're truly saved, they will know that it's wrong. Now, I get that in our culture today, where everything's being tolerated, even though the Bible still says it's an abomination to God, and it offends Him, it, it's not the way He created us, but I get that many people in our culture, because they've been lied to so much by an unbiblical morality on things like homosexuality, I get that they, they could just plead ignorant. Okay, I get that to an extent. I get that they're like, but... But if you start discipling them and you start showing them what the Word says and they resist that, then they're not saved. That's what the Bible says. They are, that's clear indication they're not saved. So for some of this, we need to give some grace and time, realizing that sanctification takes time, and that for some, if they're just ignorant of what the Bible says and they've been lied to for so long, you need to disciple them lovingly, accept them no matter what, love them like crazy. Don't judge on the basis of their behavior, but bring truth. The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. True friends speak the truth in love. You bring the truth to bear upon that. You say, this is what the Bible says. He did not create you this way. I know you feel this. I know you've been told this, blah, blah, blah. But this is what the Bible says. And you've got to bring them back to truth. And you pray like crazy and God can break those strongholds. I've seen it so many times. So God, again, we thank you for your word today. And I do just pray with all my heart that we will know who we are and walk in that for your glory. Now listen, if you're not saved today, you need Jesus. He's the only way you can be forgiven. He offers you his loving grace. Receive him today. Pray and invite him in your life. Repent of your sin. I'd like to ask our prayer team just to begin to take your places. Let's all stand. If you need prayer today, just quickly go to one of these people that are on the prayer team. Prayer team, remember, you can always go in these side rooms if you need more privacy. Any need you have, these people are here to pray with you. You can come to the front, just kneel, surrender afresh, pour out your heart to God. And we're about to sing a song that 
man, we, we want this for not only ourselves, but generations to come, right? Our children, their children, our siblings, our church family. <laughs> God, and so as we sing this, let's pray this. That God will bring truth and grace to bear upon all those that we have connection with. If you need prayer, come. These people will pray with you.
Think about future. 